Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Brought my whiteboard today. If you haven't been with us over the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been in a three-week message series all about habits. And specifically, what we've been learning together is how it's the small things that we do day by day consistently, the small things that we do day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. I can keep going. Decade in, decade out. It's those things that we do consistently over time that make the biggest difference in our lives, that have a huge impact on where we end up and the type of person that we become. So little things do matter, specifically when they're done over a long period of time. That's, that's the idea of the dominoes effect. When you begin something and you do it consistently, it has great, great power over an extended period of time. So we'll continue to talk about that today. Um, each week I've been giving you the same definition for the word habit. Okay, and this definition comes to us by way of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. One of the reasons I love to use um, definitions is because it helps all of us together to think about the word in the same way. So we're talking about the same thing. So the word habit, as defined by Merriam-Webster, is an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. All right? It is a mode or a pattern of behavior that you learned somewhere, and you've done it so long that you now don't even know you're doing it. That's a habit. And, and so when you think about it, and you think about how our lives are shaped by the things that we do day in and day out, those habits, it's kind of a big deal. Research has shown that 40 to 45% of your daily routines, the things you do each day, the food you eat, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, all of it has been shaped by your habits. And here's the thing, sometimes we don't even realize we have them. Why? Because those behaviors were shaped from the time we were eensy, teensy, weeny. Made that up. All right? So when you were sitting in your high chair watching your mom, watching your dad, your grandma, or an older sibling, you were learning and absorbing how to behave, how to treat people, how to speak. And our lives have been shaped by that. So if you're looking at your life and it's like it's a disaster and you're full of bad habits, you know who to blame? Your parents. You know? If, if you're the firstborn, you usually blame your parents because they had no idea what they were doing. Uh, if you're one of the younger kids, you usually blame your older sibling. At least that was my approach growing up. Um, but here's the point. You and I, as adults, becoming adults, we have the power to begin shaping and reforming those habits that have been handed to us. And honestly, all of us have been taught good things and bad things. We could lay blame, but the point is, we can actually make a difference. No one, no one in their right mind plans to live paycheck to paycheck. Can I, can I pay my bills this month? Nobody plans for that. Nobody plans to be overweight, unhealthy. No one plans um, to fail in their marriage. No one plans to lose the trust of their kids. No one plans to be addicted and out of control. No one plans to abandon their faith and live without hope. And yet, sometimes, we find ourselves there. Why? What's well, our parents? <laughs> our holders? No. No. Why? The reason why is because we have failed to put in place the systems we fail to put in place the strategy and the patterns of behavior that will take us to the desired destination. And so again, if you're here today and you're not even a Christian, you're not, even, you're not sure about faith stuff, this series will help you because you can set a goal, like a financial goal, a relationship goal, and actually align your habits and practices and obtain it, and that's good news. But if you're here today 
and you're a devoted follower of Jesus, the stakes are so much higher. Because he has called us to live in a new way. He has called us to follow him, and he sets out in front of us how we're to live. And so then we abandon old ways of thinking and old ways of behaving, and we embrace what he is leading us towards. And so unfortunately, many of us find that our goals and what God wants for us is actually being sabotaged by our own patterns that we haven't even recognized. So I brought my whiteboard today. I want to do a little drawing. And in, in doing so, I want to sort of capture some of the ideas I've already communicated and build upon them. So the first thing I'm going to do is draw an x-axis. So if you were in school and you did some math, you'll, you'll be aware of this. The x-axis runs this way, and we're going to call the x-axis time. And it always has little notches. So I'll put some notches on there. There we go. So time has notches. Okay, and then on the y-axis, I'm going to put a big a plus sign over here. That's positive and a negative. And so we all understand that in the area of habits in life, that there are positive good habits and there are bad habits. You with me? We know this, right? There are good habits and bad habits. Um, good habits, good behaviors, good choices will lead to good things. Bad habits, bad choices, et cetera, will lead to bad things. So, uh, for example, here's what happens, and we learned about this in week one. Um, what we fail to realize is that those small incremental changes for the good, uh, they don't seem to have much of an effect. And so as you go forward in time, there's just a slight increment. And then after a little while, what happens is, anybody recognize this? An exponential curve. And we know this is true. If you set aside $20 a week and you invest it properly from the time you're 12, you, you know, by the time you're 20, you're like, ah, oh, there's like $10,000 there. That's not, I'm not even going to pay for school. That's not a big deal. You keep doing it. For another 10 years and another 10 years, what happens is that money you're setting aside begins to grow, and the interest, the growth on the growth begins to grow, and over time, over 40 years, it can turn into millions, right? And what happens is it seems like all of a sudden there's this massive effect, but it's actually been a slow build. And we know that this is true. This is true in the area of our health. This is true in the area of our spirituality. When we make good choices, sometimes we don't see the effect right away. The opposite is also true, the inverse, that... When we make bad choices, and I used the example a couple weeks ago of donuts, you know, you eat a donut every day for a week, and your pants still fit, so you think, apparently, it doesn't matter. But if you keep doing it for a year, your pants start to get snug, and if you do it for a decade, you have to get those stretchy pants with the thing on the front and with the pocket. Um, so here we go. So negative choices, maternity pants, that's what I was thinking. Um, so... So you got the negative choices, and the exact same thing happens. You can make bad choices, and you think, oh, it's not a big deal. But as you carry it forward, they begin to spiral out of control, and all of a sudden, it seems like all of a sudden, everything is falling apart. Someone gets here, and this is usually where we awaken to our bad habits. It's usually when we awaken to that something isn't right in our lives. Someone gets here, and they're like, oh my gosh, they're taking my car away. How am I going to get to work? Or, oh, they're foreclosing on my mortgage and I'm not going to have a house to live in. Like, that's a big deal, right? And they think to themselves, well, I, I knew I was overspending and I was getting a little heavy on credit, but I, I didn't realize it was this bad until they hit this low moment and it just shakes them awake. And, and this is true relationally. Uh, nobody ever just wakes up in bed with somebody that they don't know and like, oh, well, how did this happen? It's usually been a very, very gradual process, right? With our health, nobody goes to bed at 160 and wakes up at 270 the next morning goes, what happened? It was a gradual, see, it happens slowly at first, and then things just begin to spiral out of control. And so we get here, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, um, what's, what's happened to me? Um, I want to share a story with you because, again, 
there's this, there's this time period that elapses, I'm just put a little question mark, where it seems like the effect of the good habit or the effect of the bad habit seems to be making very minimal uh, change. And then everything begins to happen suddenly. A uh, story that I began to share last week that I want to finish. I talked uh, last week about how when I was in high school, like grade 9, 10, uh, a friend of mine offered me a cigarette. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't tempted. I wasn't like, I, oh, cigarettes smell so good. I just have to have cigarettes. It wasn't like that. There were cool people that I thought were cool, and I saw them with their cigarettes. That was really popular in our day. Like half the high school was smoking at the time. And I remember seeing people, and I was actually more attracted to cigarettes because of an identity issue, because I wanted to fit in. It wasn't really about the smoking stick. And so on this one occasion, I'm walking down the street in front of the high school with, with my, one of my good friends, and we're walking down, and he's like, come on, just try it. And he gives me a cigarette, and I put the cigarette to my mouth, and I'm taking my first puff, no lie, first puff of my first cigarette ever, and, um, and I hear tires screeching on the street. And I turn in time to see my older brother, Travis, who was 18, 19 at the time, jumping out of his Z24, running towards me. And I'm standing there holding a cigarette. And he runs up and he smacks it out of my hand and he does this kung fu move where he throws me on the ground and he pins my throat on the concrete with his forearm. And he looks me in the eye and he says, "Um, if you ever touch a cigarette again, I will kill you. (laughs) And then he jumped in his car and drove away like nothing happened. To this day, my brother Travis says he does not remember doing this, but I remember it clearly. Because you don't forget something like that when it happens in front of your friends. And of course, from that time on, people are like, hey, you want to smoke? I'm like, no, I'll die. I'm like, oh, are you allergic? <laughs> no, my brother will kill me. Uh, he literally will. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's amazing. Your, bro- your older brother was so godly. I wish I had a godly brother like that. Let me, let me tell you about my brother. Because my brother Travis, uh, he's a pastor now. But he wasn't always a pastor. And at the time, he was, he was a chain smoker. And he was smoking other stuff, too. And, and he was here trying to get out of here, like many people are. And, and he saw me <laughs> over here taking the first step in the wrong direction. And he threatened me because he knew how hard it is once you get there. You guys with me? When you get here, it's a lot of work. There's hope, though. No matter where you find yourself, if if your life's in turmoil in a particular area and you're like, hey, I'm at the bottom, there is a way forward, but it isn't easy. Just be honest with you. And what happens from this place, you begin to honor God and do the right thing, and, and it seems like nothing's happening, right? You recognize this curve, and then if you continue with it, eventually you will begin to see the progress. And, and that's why Paul writes to the Galatians and says, do not become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. He's like, look. I know it's going to seem like you're doing the right things and nothing's turning around, but if you won't give up and if you'll keep trusting God, things will eventually turn around. And we get discouraged because we don't see progress fast enough. So if you're here, there's hope for you. We'll talk a bit at the end. But I want to take a bit of time today to talk about this. Because what if we could, what if we could stop problems from happening before we got too far down that road? I want to talk today about how what we refuse to do is just as important as what we choose to do, okay? And to do so, we're going to look at Daniel again. Once again, using my graph, when we see Daniel, when we see Daniel, here's where we see him. Last week, we looked at Daniel in the lion's den. It's an incredible story. Daniel is thrown into a lion's den. God miraculously saves him. He's like one of the top guys in Babylon, and you're thinking, wow, I want to be like Daniel. What we often fail to see is the 60 years of faithful service. 
that transpired from the time he arrived in Babylon to the time that he was sitting next to the king. And, and Daniel did some things right. He prayed. He, he would not worship other gods. But I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to when Daniel was a teenager. Because it's here that we begin to see choices that would shape the, the trajectory of his entire life. So we're going to Daniel uh, chapter 1. And we're going to see Daniel and a couple of his friends as teenagers. Here's, here's what it says. Uh, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, was the capital city, and besieged it. And by the way, that's where Solomon's temple, the ancient wonder of the world, overlaid with gold, this amazing, magnificent structure, they tore it down. They broke the walls of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. And it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, this is fascinating because it's telling us that God allowed this to happen. You know, sometimes we can get all carried away with, with politics, and it's important to do the process and to vote. I want to encourage you guys to vote in the upcoming election and do your, your civic duty, but you, we always have to remember God is in control. Like, if the person you voted for doesn't win, God doesn't fall off his throne. He's not like, what am I going to do now? It's just not like that. And we see here that all this terrible stuff's happening in Israel, and God's like, actually, I allowed that to happen. I'm still in control. He continues, and it says that he took some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Big idea. King of Babylon goes, my God's bigger than yours. I'm taking your golden treasures from your temple where you worship your God, who's obviously not very powerful because we just destroyed you. And we're going to take these, these artifacts and we're going to put them in our temple because our God is greater. And God's like, okay, go for it. Like, he just sit back. He knows what's going on. So that's what's going on. And then it says this in verse 3. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, his servant, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal families and of the nobility, used without blemish. Okay, this is, this is really smart. The, the king of Babylon, instead of killing everybody and subjugating everybody, he says, I'm going to take the best and the brightest, the young men who are future princes and leaders of this nation, while they're still young and impressionable, and I'm going to bring them to Babylon, and I'm going to turn them into Babylonians. Like, this is brilliant, right? They're not going to revolt if they love Babylon and they're part of our community. So he brings the best and the brightest. That's who Daniel and his friends are it continues to tell us, both of the royal family and nobility, youth without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, smart kids, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, they're able to learn, competent to stand in the king's palace. And here's the goal, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. They get the best food, the best wine, the wine that he drank, and there they were educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And then it distinguishes four young men that stood out among all these other young hopefuls coming from Judah. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called, get ready, Belteshazzar. All right, if you're having a kid and you're looking for a great name, no, don't, don't use it. Uh, Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So there's four young men that stand out. And if you continue to read the rest of the book, you're going to discover numerous reasons why they stood out. Uh, but here's the plan. The plan is to assimilate them into the Babylonian culture. As you leave this place and you go out into your week, there is 
culture that's pulling us in directions of how to behave, how to live, how to think, how to view the world. And, and Daniel and his friends are about to be trained in the ways of Babylon. So you can imagine this. These young, impressionable teenager boys, they come to Babylon, and there they're given new robes. They look like Babyl- Babylonians. They learn the Babylonian language. They learn about the Babylonian gods. They're even given Babylonian names. Daniel's name, Daniel, means uh, something like God is my judge. Like the God of the Bible is my judge. And instead, they change his name to Bel to Shazar, which means Bel, that's the Babylonian god, Bel protect the king. So he's given a name, and, and they're trying to change his identity. And what's powerful about Daniel is that he puts his foot down. We're going to see that in just a sec. Because, you know, it's interesting to me that he chose teenagers. Because our culture says that, you know, when you're a teenager, here's what your plan is. Have fun. Being a teenager is about having fun, enjoying life, hanging out with your friends. And, of course, it's partly about that. But most of us, if we're really honest, would say that the trajectory for our life was mostly established while we were teenagers. The friends we chose, the character we developed. And so I think it's fascinating that we have these young, impressionable men that he's trying to shape into Babylonians who would then lead. But these, these young men, they allow them to change their names. They allow them to give them new clothes. They allow them to teach them all about their Babylonian gods. But here's what happens in verse 8. Check it out. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel, literally, he's in no place to do so. He puts his foot down and says, ah, I can't do that. Seems odd to me. Let somebody change your name. It's very likely that these young men were castrated because the, the young men who were in the service of the king were often eunuchs. We can't prove it, but it's very, very likely. There's no record of Daniel being married. So Daniel's being commissioned to serve the king who tore down his God's temple, who probably killed people that he knew, who dragged him off to another country to retrain him in all of these Babylonian ways. And the problem he has is with the food. Does anybody else think that's weird? Like, why is this such a big deal? And, and I think the answer is because even though they were trying to turn Daniel into a Babylonian, Daniel's identity was still, I'm a child of God. I am a Jew. I'm a descendant of Abraham. That's who I am. I don't care what clothes they put on me. I don't care what they do to my body. I don't care what they dress me in. I don't care what languages they teach me. I am a descendant of Abraham, a child of God. And because of his identity, he wouldn't eat the food. Now, it wasn't like he was being a food snob. It wasn't Daniel like, I can't eat this. It's not organic. Okay? Everything was organic back then. All right? He's like, that wasn't the issue. For him, it was a moral issue. And here's why. Because God had commanded in the law of Moses that the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, were not to eat unclean meats. So there were clean meats and there were unclean meats. Famously, pork is an unclean meat, right? And so practicing Jews, we won't eat bacon because, and we're all like, what in the world? How could you live? Right? And so there were unclean meats and very likely the Babylonians were serving unclean meats. Secondly, when Jews ate meat, the meat had to be, had to be um, slaughtered in an appropriate way by an appropriate person. You couldn't just take a dead animal and cook it up and eat it. Like, there was a, an appropriate way, and so that was obviously not being done. Thirdly, Jews were forbidden, I mean absolutely forbidden, to eat or drink anything that had been sacrificed to idols. And it's very likely that all three of these were a no-go. And so Daniel's looking at the plate going, I can't, I can't do that. And he draws a line in the sand as to what he cannot do. 
as a young man. And it's amazing because last week we said this, identity shapes behavior. Like if you know who you are, then you know what to do. Today, with the, with the remaining time we have, I want to talk about how if you know who you are, then you know what you should not do. There are some things that are not appropriate for us to do. And unless we know what they are and are willing, like Daniel, to put our foot down and resolve that we will not defile or soil ourselves, um, we can get into all kinds of trouble. Now, there's two ways to think about this. One is an issue of morality. An issue of morality means it's right or wrong. Okay? So, like, when we think of morality, we say it's wrong to murder people. And everyone agrees, right? Bad habit. Adultery. Being unfaithful. And everyone goes, yeah, that's a bad idea. We all agree it's wrong. But then when you start to get into some of the seemingly smaller things, like envy, how much envy is okay? Nobody sees it, so does it really matter? Greed, selfishness, lust. There's all these other motives. There's all these other things going on inside of our heart and our mind. And we're like, ah, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. And so there's, there's moral, right and wrong. And then there's stuff that's kind of in the gray areas. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, for that, we use guardrails. And when, when my wife and I had little kids, we would allow them to play on the front yard, but we didn't want them going on the road because there were cars there. Bad idea. So we didn't tell our little kids, don't go on the road. We said, don't go past the tree on our front yard, which was like 20 feet from the road. And that tree served as a guardrail, a barrier to stop the kids from going anywhere near danger. And so for us, like Daniel, we need to be able to put our foot down and say, there are things that as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, I will not do. And there are even some areas that I'm going to put up a fence to protect myself from even getting close to it. So if we want to avoid and eliminate some bad habits, um, here's some things we can do. Number one, decide in advance. It's amazing what happens when you make a decision in advance. About a month ago, I was having trouble sleeping. And I don't know why, I was just having so much trouble sleeping. And so I was reading books and preparing for this message series. And I've been telling you guys to track stuff. And so I started tracking my own behavior. And one of the things that I noticed is I'm like, okay, maybe it's coffee. And so I started tracking how much coffee I was drinking. Some of you don't want to do that. Uh, I started tracking it because I thought, oh, I'm having a couple cups a day. But then as I actually started tracking it, I realized some days I was having four or five cups of coffee. Someone would offer me one. Someone would bring me a coffee. I'd meet someone for coffee, coffee after dinner. And then I'm like, why am I sitting up at 2 in the morning? And then here's the thing. We always want to separate spiritual and physical stuff, but they're connected. Like our bodies are connected to our spirit and our mind. It's all interconnected. So when I'm not sleeping, guess what's happening? I'm frustrated with my family and getting angry at my kids and hard to get along with my wife and I'm having a hard time at focusing at work and so there's this spiral that's affecting every area of my life and I realize, oh, the coffee's probably a problem. So I, I set a new rule for myself. Simple. One cup a day. One coffee. That's it. The only decision I now have to make is when will I have that cup of coffee? And I've already had it for today, so don't offer after church. I won't drink it. All right? But by limiting that, everything else um, just rolls right out. So deciding in advance is a, is a big deal. You want to decide where's the line, right? Where's the line that you won't cross? And it's better to decide that before you go on a date and not when you're in the backseat of the car. It's a bad time to decide where the line is, okay? Don't decide how much you're going to spend after you've started walking through Costco because everyone's done that. You go in, I'm getting milk, I'm getting milk, I'm getting milk. And you come out with $300 worth of groceries and a coffee maker and you're like, what happened? 
It's those little sample stations. They just threw me right off my plan. So you want to decide in advance what you're doing. Which words will and won't come out of your mouth? Why don't you decide that before someone cuts you off or before you're angry? Decide in advance. It's powerful. Which behaviors are appropriate in your life? When I was in high school, one of the coolest things I think I did, my grade 12, my senior year, uh, my best friend and I, we made a pact together that we weren't going to touch alcohol. And at the time, again, in the context, lots of kids in our class were, were do, uh, drinking alcohol at different events, and we would go to those events, and, and they would always ask us, and we just said, no, we're going to stick together, we're not going to do it. And you may be wondering, why wouldn't you drink it? Well, uh, for one, we were underage, so that's, that's a good reason, didn't stop everyone else. Um, two, uh, my best friend's dad had been a severe alcoholic, and the destruction it had caused his family was massive, and so... so for me, I hadn't experienced alcoholism in my family, but what I, what I did as a, as a kid of a pastor, I saw and we walked with many families who were absolutely ravaged uh, by alcohol. Now, do I believe alcohol is like a sin that you can't have alcohol? No, I don't. I, I pass no judgment on other people. I decided then I wasn't going to touch it. I still don't because it's a guardrail for me. For me, it's a guardrail. Uh, I told you how many cups of coffee I was drinking. Imagine if I got into alcohol. It would be bad. Uh, so I don't do that. But it's a line. And it's amazing what happens when you formulate lines in your life. It creates clarity and it protects you from danger. Second thing you want to do if you want to avoid and eliminate bad habits is acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it. And again, the big things are easy, the obvious things. But it's those little things. Like Jesus said this. He said, you've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit murder. And everyone's like, of course, I've never murdered anybody. Have you? No, the crowd's all going, we didn't murder anybody. He says, I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder already. What's he saying? Is he saying being angry is the same as killing somebody? No. What he's saying is the the seed that develops into murder is anger that's harbored in the heart, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows if left unchecked. So the little things matter, because the little things over time can all of a sudden become a very, very big thing. So we have to acknowledge those things when we find them in our heart, in our mind, those things that are not of God. We acknowledge it. It can be our attitude, critical spirit, pride, judgmental attitude. It can be behaviors like laziness, gossip, overeating. It can be digital problems. You know, now we have digital problems like too much social media, too many video games, pornography. It's accessible like never before. Uh, binge-watching Netflix, you look and you're like, oh, wow, I spent 20 hours watching TV this week. Everyone's just grinning. You're like, how did he know? How did he know I did that? It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how we can waste time uh, if we're not careful, if we don't draw lines, if we don't say, this is what I'll do in advance. We'll just allow life to take us. Substances, you know, like we think about drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol, the obvious things, but like there are other drugs like sugar and nicotine. For some of us, stress is a drug, and you just have to be stressed all the time, and it's killing your body, and it's creating all kinds of havoc inside you. So, like, again, acknowledging it. Hey, this is going on. And I would just say this. This is super important. This is the fine print. Acknowledge your struggle. Don't embrace it. Because you struggle with something doesn't mean that's who you are. Okay? It's something you struggle with. And when you know who you are, you begin behaving in a new way. It's something we talked about last week. Uh, when, when, my, uh, when my kids were little, one of them, who remain unnamed, uh, used to come to me and he would say, 
Uh, well, I guess it's a he, so you know it's one of two kids. Anyway, our kid would say, hey, uh, you know, can I do this? And we'd be like, ah, last time you, you played too long. Last time you did the wrong thing. We told you not to, and you did it. Yeah, but this is the new me. That was the old me. This is the new me. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. And then I found this passage in Ephesians 4, and I thought, he's on to something. Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul's like, hey, Christians in the first century, you have an old way of thinking. Like Babylonians. You have a way of viewing the world and you need to take it off. Like clothes, you take that shirt off, you take it off and you put on something new. The transformation of our mind, our habits, our behaviors to come into a line with, he says in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has a new way for you to live. But you got to put off the old and embrace the new and move in a new direction based on who God has made you as a child of God. Just like Daniel, based on who I am, I won't do that. I can't do that. I'm changing directions. Here's the third thing we want to do to avoid and eliminate habits, and we'll close with this one. Make it difficult to do. Make it difficult to do. Like, if you love eating junk food, just get it out of your house. And then if you want something, you'll have to walk to the store to get it. And then you'll be getting exercise, and maybe by the time you get there, you won't want to eat it anymore. I don't know. That's just a hypothesis. You know, if it's your cell phone, you know, move it. Turn it off at certain hours. Put a filter, put a limiter on it, something that will help you to make it difficult to use it too much. Uh, if there are certain people in your, in your life, and this, uh, Proverbs 13, 20, and you can throw that verse up there. I think it says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The people that we do life with affects everything. If you hang around with the right people who are wise, who are godly, who are going in the right direction, you will naturally find yourself mimicking their behaviors and patterns. And if you're hanging out with the wrong people, it will cause you harm. So maybe, maybe you need to make it difficult. You know, I was thinking about um, this idea of why resist temptation tomorrow if I have the ability to eliminate it today? Why try to battle this out here if we can eliminate the direction right here? It changes everything. And so, we want to make it difficult to do. The way I want to close this series and close this message today is I want to ask uh, each of you to do a little thought exercise with me. This is something that I, I found myself doing a lot over the summertime as I was reflecting on my future. And I began to ask myself this question. Who will I be in five years? Who will I be? Not what will I be doing, not where will I be. Notice what it says, who will I be in five years? Because I'm interested mostly in the kind of man that I am. Will I be a man of God? Will I be a good husband? Will I be a good father? Hopefully not a grandfather. Um, but who will I be? Who will I be in five years? What kind of character? And then I, then I began to ask myself the question, what is my trajectory, right? So as I began, to, I began to look at my own life and think about my spiritual disciplines, are they in place? My physical disciplines, do I want to be a healthy, vibrant person? Are they in place? No, they were not. Uh, my financial disciplines, do I have the right things in place, the right systems to help us achieve our financial goals? Uh, relationships, are we doing the right things relationally with my kids and my spouse? And begin asking myself, if I was to project out five years, where would I be? And that's what I want to invite you to do. Because chances are, um, you already know where God wants you to be, and chances are, you already know where you want to be. The question is, have you put the systems, the routines, and the habits in place to help you get there? 
God's on your side. He'll empower you. He'll strengthen you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to start somewhere. And I would just suggest, uh, again, maybe there's one thing you need to start doing and one thing you need to stop, and that's enough. You're like, but there's 15 things I've thought of. Start with a few. Do them faithfully, day in, day out. You'll begin to see the progress that comes. And, and I believe that if, if we're willing to do this, we'll begin to see transformation through the power of God. So with that, um, now that you've had an opportunity to think about it, uh, really hoping that as you go away from this message series, that some of the things we've talked about, these definitions, these ideas, uh, would stick in your mind. So you'd remember that even when you don't see the progress you think you should, to be faithful in doing well, you will reap if you do not think. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this message series. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at the life of Daniel. The examples in Scripture show us examples of success and failure, and we're thankful for it. And God, today, as we close out this message series and we move on to whatever's next, I pray, Lord, that some of the small changes that are implemented within our lives would impact us for the better, that you would draw us to live godly, holy lives, that you would help us and draw us to be in relationships that are healthy and vibrant, that give glory and honor to you. So, Lord, if there's anyone in this place who has never committed their life to follow you, I pray that they would do so before they leave this place. And, God, for each and every one of us, would you give us the strength and the ability to follow wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.